again, it's good to be with you. If you're here as a visitor, again, want to just warm welcome to you. We're in the middle of a sermon series that I've titled The Seven Deadly Sins. We've been walking through um, just a variety of these biblical passages and uh, what has been commonly called The Seven Deadly Sins. And so this is installment number three, and I'm ready for this thing to be over. I'm just going to be honest. This hurts. It stings a little bit, but, but there's, there's also the healing balm of, of the good news of Jesus that I hope that you're leaving with. Um, and so the good news is you don't think about this all week like I do. So I come in here a little beat up, uh, but, but God's been good. Um, so if you're here today, first time, that's where we're at. I, hope, I, I, think, you'll, I think you'll find it helpful. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage today in the book of Numbers. So if you're new to the Bible, Numbers is in the Old Testament, so far left of your Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So fourth book of the Bible. Um, we've been, again, hopping around in some different passages, and so we're going to look at a, at a story today in Numbers chapter 22. Uh, before I read the text, let me give you a two-minute or less summary of what's going on, just so you can know where we're at, and so I don't just plop you down and you have no idea what's going on. Uh, the book of Numbers would be appropriately called uh, the book of God's people in the wilderness. So this is God's people, the Israelites, Delivered out of Egypt and slavery, they're now in the wilderness. They've been wandering as a large group for many, many years. In fact, where we come to the passage today, they're, they're four months short of 40 years. So they're coming close to entering into the promised land. Uh, they've been, um, they've really just, they have a military reputation now. God has been, they've been cleaning house. They've been taking out nations and moving through towards Canaan, the promised land. And uh, today's passage, uh, there's a, a couple groups, the, the, Moab, the Moabites and the Midianites have heard about the Israelites. And they've, they, they, they've heard about their reputation and they, they want to do something about it. They know that they're coming. Um, so God's people are, are out and they're in the, um, in the plains of Moab. And so this is kind of north of of the, the Jordan, uh, on the north, northern parts of the Jordan River, up approaching Canaan towards the Promised Land. And we uh, are introduced to a couple characters, two characters you need to know before we read the text. Uh, Balak, Balak was the king of Moab, and Balaam. Balaam was a pagan prophetic type of seer who had a reputation for being able to curse and or bless people. And so uh, Balak, uh, the, the king, hires Balaam to go and to curse the Israelites. And so the, the rumor has it the Israelites are gaining numbers. They've got this, this huge group out in the plains. And so the king hires Balaam to head towards the Israelites to place a cursing on God's people. And we'll see that, that the cursing on God's people cannot come to fruition but God lets it get to a certain point. And so, so here, here, as we jump into the passage, we're going to begin in verse 21. Balaam has been commissioned, in fact, hired at a, at a, really, a really wealthy, kind of handsome purse uh, on some levels to, to go and to, to give this cursing to God's people. And so let's read, uh, beginning in Numbers chapter 22, beginning in verse 21, going down to the end of the chapter there. This is the word of the Lord this morning. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. 
Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, "'What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times?' And Balaam said to the donkey, "'Because you've made a fool of me.' I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? He said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. And then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth-Baal. And from there he saw a fraction of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of it. Let's pray. Father, it's our deepest prayer that the the words of this man's mouth and the meditations of every heart gathered here today would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, would you do just that? You are our rock and our redeemer, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am an angry person. I'm angry about all kinds of big things, government and politics. I'm angry about ISIS. I'm angry about the condition of our education system in New Mexico I'm angry about you know, the rampant agenda uh, towards um, the abortion movement in our country. I'm angry about all kinds of big picture injustice type of things. But I'm also angry about low scale little things. You know, I'm angry when I misplace my keys. I'm angry when my kids misplace things like their shoes. It's always their shoes. Like when they're leaving, when we're leaving, it's always the shoes. Why is it the shoes? I'm angry that I can't get my grass to grow in my backyard. Right? Yeah. 
I, I mean, I'm angry about all of these kind of low-level silly things, too. What are you angry about? Are you angry that the guy at your work who just cuts corners but knows how to smooth well continues to work his way up the ladder? You know, are you angry at your neighbor who can't grow his grass? Are you angry at him? Are you, are you angry at you know, lifestyles that other people have that you are so richly deserving of? Are you angry that other kids behave better than yours, especially when in public? Are you angry that the, the, the span of your life, the, the, the layout of your plan has not really come to what you thought it would be? That's not what you had planned? Are you angry about that? Let's, let's together, yes, out loud, all say this right now. We have an anger problem. Ready? We have an anger problem. There. It's been said. The air is clear. I'm talking to everybody in this room. Um, see, there's, there's different shades of anger, right? I think when a lot of us think about anger, we think of the, the hot outbursts of rage, you know, the colorful person, the, that, that angry person. Like, that's real. That's, that could be you. But I think there's also on the, 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 the other extreme of that, there's the cold person who's distant and they're really manipulative and exacting with their words or their thoughts or their looks. And then there's kind of the middle range type of lukewarm person who, who really just stores up a lot of ammunition and when it's needed, it, it comes out. They're really irritable. They're grouchy. There's, there's, there's just a variety of colorings of what anger actually looks like. And one of the things that, um, as I was thinking this week... Um, is, is anger really wrong? Like, is it wrong to be angry? And the answer to that is no. Anger is not the problem. The way we execute anger is the problem. And so anchored around the idea of anger are two really big things that, that I want to tie together. It, it's, it's justice on the one hand. So we're, we want wrong things to be made right. And we get angry about it. And so, so justice is part of anger. And, and then the other part of anger is love. And so the motive is, ought to be love. Now, enter us into that scenario, and oftentimes we are angry about the wrong things, and we you know, execute anger in, the wrong, in all the wrong ways. And so that's our problem. That's, that's inherently our problem. And, and here's the tricky thing about this particular sin. It's really, it really tastes good for us. Like anger, it, it's, a, it's a delicious little meal. Like it feels good to get angry sometimes. You know, to just, just kind of let it rip a little bit. You know, just kind of let out some steam, some fumes. And, and here's, here's why it tastes so good to us. It's because it's connected to, to, the, real, to the core of the person, to who we are. And, and the reason anger feels good is it's a defense mechanism. It defends us from a couple of things. One of the things it defends us from is from control. So when things spiral out of our control, when life doesn't go our way, anger is an attempt for us to grab back hold of that, like vent our way and to move us back onto the path that we had laid out. But it's also a defense mechanism against fear because anger 
ultimately is a, is a, is a wall that shadows us, that protects us from being found out and discovered and exposed from who we really are. And so when someone threatens that, anger comes out. Um, today we're going to use Numbers chapter 22 kind of as a case study in anger. Um, I kind of toss and turned about where to go with this passage or, or whether to use this, this passage. You know, this is a talking donkey we're dealing with here. Um, and, and so, but I think, it's, I think it's fantastic, actually. The more time I spent in the, in the story and in the passage, we're going to see ourselves all up in this narrative. Like, we are, we are Balaam, okay? So we're going to see ourselves in it. But, but more than seeing ourselves in this passage, I want us to walk away from this story today seeing Jesus and redeeming our anger. So this passage really isn't ultimately about us, though we will learn things about us in it. It's ultimately pointing us to that great story of redemption in Jesus. Here's the main idea that I'm trying to communicate to you today from the passage. I want you to know that extinguishing the flames of anger in our hearts comes from experiencing the patience of God in the gospel. So extinguishing those, those flames of anger, whatever that looks like, whatever you are angry about, can only be put out by experiencing the patience of God to us in the gospel. Here's how I want us to break up the passage. Um, I want us to look at three things. I want us to look first at when anger is provoked. Uh, then I want us to look at when anger is confronted. And then lastly, I want us to look at when anger is redeemed. So provoked, confronted, and redeemed if you're a note-taking type of people. Let's look at when anger is provoked first. Uh, so I, I kind of set the stage with what's going on. Uh, Balaam's headed towards the Israelites to give them the cursing that he's been paid for to give to them. And what is it that provokes Balaam's anger? Well, it's the the of his plan, right? It's the barrier to what he thought was going to happen. And so if you caught it in the text when I read it, the donkey was the only one that saw the barrier, okay? So Balaam couldn't see this angel of the Lord, sword drawn in hand. He couldn't see it, but the, but the donkey did. And so the donkey went to the side, right? I'm not going to deal with that. Donkey went to the other side. Not going to deal with that. Donkey laid down. Not going to deal with that. And so in this pausing, as it were, of Balaam's plan in life, he explodes. You know, his, his particular brand of anger is the violent outburst. It's the colorful strike of the donkey. And so what we see here is um, it's that I want what I want kind of thinking. It's that me agenda right, that governs so much of our lives. Balaam is all about doing what he's been thought he's been commissioned to do, and when anything gets in his way, his anger will flare up. Does that not sound like us? I mean, you know, anger, anger explodes when, when our life implodes. It's, a, it's kind of a catchy way to think about it. So, so anger flares up. It bubbles. It stirs in our hearts when things don't go the way we think they ought to go. And here's, here's my synopsis of why that happens. Here's what I think was going on with Balaam, and here's what I think what's going on with us. I think anger gets provoked by a few different things. The first thing that, that provokes anger is a lack of control. So 
you know, anger is provoked when we have no control over the situation. So this is your traffic jam scenario, right? So Paseo coming home from the east side, you know, jam-packed, right? You have nothing to do with this. You don't know why people run into each other every day. You just don't get it, and it's outside of your control. So we flip the switch on, the anger, right? It's our attempt to regress. It's the only thing we can do in that moment is to vent, and we vent to ourselves, or if our kids are in the back seat, God help us. Um, but it's, it's, this, it's provoked because we don't have control over what's going on around us. The, another thing that provokes anger out of us is fear. When we are afraid, and a lot of times we're afraid because we don't have control of our lives, when we are afraid, anger offers us something to protect us from that. So Balaam, in this situation, when he's asked, why did you react like this? He's told, because you made a fool of me. You know, he had other people, important people with him, princes from Moab with him, and he was flat out embarrassed. And so that's how we operate. We fear rejection and judgment. I mean, Classic case scenario for those of you with parents, when our children, we're out with a group of friends or we're out with doing a church thing and you ask them to do something and they won't do it and they disobey you blatantly in public, what happens? The anger switch comes on, you get your stern dad look on and you go tell them, do what I told you to do, right? Like everybody's looking at us, so let's go, right? And Why? Because we fear that other people are going to look at us and say, well, what kind of parent is that? The pastor's kid doesn't even listen to him. I mean, we're in good shape, guys. Look how good we're doing. We fear rejection and judgment, and it incites our anger. You know, I don't, you know when, my, when my sons, and they disobey all the time. In fact, they did it in front of a group of you the other day. And so they, they, they disobey, and yes, I'm, f- I'm fearful of the public shaming, but I'm also fearful they're just going to go to prison because of their disobedience. So like, like on, on one level, I'm like, okay, it's innocent now, but they're going to do jail time. So, but it's fear-based anger. I'm like, you've got to obey me, Micah, but it's fear. Another thing that gets us, and provokes our anger is entitlement. When we think that we deserve more than we do, the wrong objects receive our wrath. The donkey, right? I mean, he was acting completely rational in that moment. And because Balaam had this sense of priority and importance and significance, he took his wrath out on an unworthy object, the donkey. We do it all the time. We try to control, we're afraid of judgment, and we have a sense of entitlement that bears our wrath to be burdened on other people. So, so what, just kind of wrapping up this first thought, what does your anger look like? Like in your life, this sermon is not for the person next to you, it is for you. What does your anger look like? Is it, is it that you're just so irritable? Um, it's kind of like you've just like been drinking the poison of bitterness and resentment to the point where you're just a little abrasive and rough all the time, and it comes out on occasion. Or maybe yours is the blow-up 
you know, adult temper tantrum, colorful words, all of that. Maybe, maybe that is you. Um, and, and people have to walk on eggshells around you because you just never know when you're going to step on a mine. You know, it's just like, maybe that's you. Uh, maybe, maybe you're the one that's been holding on to these past grievances and hurts for, for just so long that, that it's not even the hurt which was wrong and which is valid and which is true and which is unjust and, and worthy of wrath, but, it, but it's not even that anymore. It's, it's really just worked its way into your heart in a way that it's just spoiled everything for you. And so, so anger comes out, and, and, it, and it's provoked in, in all of these different ways. Well, let's look at what happens when anger is confronted. Uh, Looking mostly at verses 28 to 35 there. One of the real insightful things about this sermon series for me has been God has been giving, using, I mean, a lot of my kids and a lot of my just current circumstances to just show me my sin. And, you know, as a preacher, it happens all the time. Grand, I think about sermons from Sunday at noon until, you know, it's, it's around the clock. It's kind of always going. And uh, this week, um, I'm kind of thinking anger. Cool, I kind of think I got that under control. Like, this one might not be that bad. Like, it's going to be okay, Adam. Not so much. Um, so Friday, little story here, quick one. Uh, Friday, we had some, some engagements, some plans. We had dinner plans, and then we had, uh, we had some pictures. Our, our staff here at Mosaic was taking some pictures. And we had done all these arrangements to make this happen, like lots of moving parts, got to meet at this place, everybody coming from around town. It's Friday at 4.30 in Albuquerque. That's a nightmare. And, you know, and we're getting out of the house, and, of course, shoes are missing. That always happens. And so we finally get out of the house, and we're, like, around the corner, and I'm like, we're running a little bit late, but I think we're going to make it. And um, Micah's chewing gum. You know where this is headed. Uh, Micah's chewing gum in the back seat. And I look in the rearview mirror, and he's like Spider-Man back there. Like gum everywhere. Gum, like the, the real, when it gets real thin, you know, real messy, everywhere. And I'm just like, I begin steaming inside. Um, <laughs> I'm like, we don't have time for this. We're going, you know, like, I can't deal with gum right now. And so uh, Heather gives me the look, like, pull over and deal with the gum right now. So I pull over and I deal with the gum. And I don't get hot. I'm not the hot, colorful uh, anger guy. Uh, that's just not my, my brand. But uh, I am the, the shaming guilt guy. And so I go back and I take it out on a five-year-old who's having fun with textures, right? Like, this guy's just learning life, and here I am in the back seat telling him, don't you know all of the things we've got going on tonight? We're on a timetable. You know, what are all the people going to think when we're late? All of these things, and Micah just takes the wrath, right? He just, just takes it, and I hop back in the seat. It's like a three-minute deal. Kind of got it cleaned up. Get back in, and, and silence in the car. You know, Dad's, we're driving now, and uh, Micah's, he's just, he's just shamed, like guilted. I t- completely, completely tore him up. And, um, and my wife tells me, you know you need to apologize, right? And I said, yeah, yeah I know I need to apologize. And um, I mean, it was, it was that moment where my sin was confronted through these, these strange means. Like a five-year-old with sticky hands is the one that had to bring out my anger. And, and like show me how I really am an angry person. And, 
so God does that through a donkey here. He does it through five-year-old, sticky-handed kids, and he does it through donkeys. Uh, for whatever reason, God in his wisdom chose to show Balaam's anger to us and to himself through this donkey. But it's so easy to justify our anger, is it not? Like, I mean, that's what I was doing with Micah. It was like, you know, we've got places to be, and I mean, he needs to know we can't spread gum everywhere. So I'm justifying in my heart why he deserved what he did. And I mean, you can imagine it's not in the text, but it's in the subtext of the story. You can imagine what Balaam was saying. This donkey, come on, donkey, let's go. We've got work to do. You know, you are throwing me off of my plan. And so the blame game, blaming others, is the most common way for us to justify our anger. And here's the problem with that. It's an unhealthy and an unbiblical way of viewing sin. See, that view that says it's everything out there that's the problem says it's them, not me. If just the cars on Paseo would not run into each other, right? If my wife would just do things right, right? If my kids would just listen to me, right? But that's the wrong view of sin because the Bible and what Jesus taught us was the inside-out view of sin. That the problem is not primarily what's going on out there. The problem is what's going on in here. And so Jesus would say things like, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Jesus would say things like, when you uh, think uh, judgmental and angry thoughts in your heart towards someone, you murder them. And so... Here we see Jesus in the Bible teaching us the inside-out view of sin. Here's, here's, here's what Balaam's going to show us, is that the only way to be healed from that kind of sin is from the inside-out. What does Balaam do? Well, he repents. He turns away. He says, look, I've sinned against you. I've done wrong. I didn't see what was going on. See, that's the baseline of Christianity, the baseline for us to change as a people is to first and foremost see our need for the change. It's the entry-level stuff, and it doesn't just happen at the beginning. It's the continuous, constant, repetitive movement of repentance towards our sin. And so I'll ask you again, what are you really angry about? Is it God's plan for your life? Is it, is it that it hasn't panned out the way you thought it would be? That you thought you'd be married by now? You thought you'd have children? Maybe you thought you'd not be married by now and not have children. Is it that you thought you would not be working anymore? That the retirement fund would be fully set and in action? Would you be enjoying that retired life and you're not? Is it that the career path that you thought was for you simply wasn't? What is it that's stirring up anger in you? Is it past experiences of hurt and pain that you simply will not let go? And it's not easy. I'm not saying just let, let go of it and move on. It's not this simplistic view, but, 
but on a number of levels, it's poisoning us and it's making us angry. Are you fearful of being exposed and shown who you really are? You're kind of that tough outer shell guy, the abrasive, brash, bold, colorful, and nobody can get in there. Maybe that's you. So how, how, do, we, how do we figure out this anger problem? Like what, what's, this, what's the storyline of this? Well, I want us to look at the rest of the story um, by looking at when anger is redeemed uh, in the closing verses and then also some of the, the follow-up on the story. So let's look at when anger is redeemed. Uh, summarizing kind of the, the, the closing verses there, uh, B- the king, Balak, and Balaam meet together and uh, they don't make it all the way to Israel to give the cursing. Um, but uh, something happens uh, there's some a- animal sacrifices going on. If you look there, I think it's in verse 36, um, maybe a little bit further down. Let me find that passage. Uh, yes, yeah, so verse 40, Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. In other words, so, so these were pagans. These are not Jewish Yahweh-worshipping people. These are not Jews. These are pagans. And so they make these animal sacrifices pointing us to the rest of the story. So here's the summary of what happens. Balaam, the, 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 the seer, the prophet, he gives three oracles of judgment against God's people. And then God's people fall into idolatry. They end up inheriting the gods of the Moabites, the Baal worship. You might be familiar with that if you've read the Old Testament. And they end up merging with these people and adopting their religion. And they end up marrying and doing all of these things that God told them not to do. He said he was to be their one true and living God, and they weren't. So they become idolaters. And God is, is hot and wrathful over this. Um, judgment was heading their way. Uh, and God sends a substitute. He sends someone else to take the place for them. Uh, later on in chapter 25, there's a, a kind of a redeemer-type person named Phineas who comes. And Phineas kills two people in the place of God's people. He actually spears them. And in in verse uh, 8 of chapter 25, it says, after the death of these people, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. In other words, God's anger was halted because a substitute came and took the place for the people. We are angry people. We are idolaters. We have not put God at the center of our lives. We have run from him many a times. And quite honestly, our anger problem is rooted in the fact that we are angry at God. We're angry at God for the plans of our lives. We're angry at God for the sin in our lives. We're angry at God for a variety of things. We are a people who hate and despise God. Thomas Merton, who was a... um, He's a modern guy. He was a Trappist monk type of go-in-the-wilderness guy. He, he would say this. He said, We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. See, the answer to anger is dealing with God's anger. The world offers us a variety of techniques to deal with our anger. Breathing techniques, anger management programs, go to your happy place, whatever. The real reason we can't get over our anger 
is because we have not dealt rightly with God's just anger towards us. See, this story is not really about a pagan riding a donkey to go curse God's people. This story is actually about the God-man who became a man and he rode a donkey towards God's people in Jerusalem to take God's people's curse for them. You see, that's what this story is showing us, is that the only way for us to stop being so angry is to know that the Lord is no longer angry with his people. See, Jesus shows us the, the heart of anger, love, and justice. See, God was too loving to let us perish in our own sin and rebellion against him. He was too loving to do that, but he was also too just to let it go unpunished. What kind of God is a God who just shrugs his shoulders and says, I, I, don't, I can't do anything about these people. They're just a mess. And you know what? I'll just kind of let things slide. See, the God of the Bible shows us that he's both a just and loving God. And he showed us supremely by coming to take the curse of his people for him. That's the essence of Christianity. If you're here today, and maybe you're an angry person, and maybe your whole life has been embittered towards all of the circumstances that have been around you, and many of them are unjust, and many of them are not right, and many of them are not good. But hear this. The God of the Bible has reconciled the world with himself by taking punishment for our rebellion on himself. And he's coming to make everything that's been wrong right again. So all of those big things that we hate, all of those big things that are marred by sin and brokenness are now being recovered and restored through the work of Jesus. And it begins in our own hearts. And so many of us want this large-scale kind of redemption accomplished out there when God is really most interested in getting in here. That's where the change will happen. So how now shall we live? God's wrath is no longer on us if you are in Christ. Here, 1 John chapter 4, I'll close out with this verse today. 1 John chapter 4 verses 10 through 11 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's anger has been turned away. It's been dealt with. The anger that which once hovered over you if you were in Christ is no longer there. Now how shall we live? In patience towards one another in kindness, tempered with mercy and grace, love and justice. This is what it means to no longer be gripped by anger. Let's pray and ask God that he would do that in our hearts. <sighs> Father, it's, it's devastating sometimes to sit here and think about our sin. It hurts, it stings in many ways. In some ways we have just numbed ourselves to it. 
and we've avoided it and we've justified it and we've blamed others for it. God, it is my hope that you would press the truth of your gospel into our hearts so firmly that we would have such a confidence in who Christ is for us that we could be open and honest about our sin. And when we're open and honest about our sin, change happens. So, Lord, unless you do that, nothing will happen, Lord. Lord, would you fall on us? And would you change us? And would you help us to be renewed by your Spirit that we might be a patient people filled with mercy and grace towards others? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.